welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Bridgerton on Netflix. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Julian Davis. We're proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network, a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Hi everyone! Before we get into this episode, we want to issue a content warning. In this episode, we discuss sexual assault, so if this topic is triggering for you, look to the show notes for what section to skip. Now, on to the show. Hello everybody, and welcome back to the Pemberley Podcast. This week we're discussing episode 6 of Bridgerton, but before we get into that, we're going to talk a bit about the things that we are currently watching outside of this show. So Jillian, what are you currently watching? I recently fell madly in love with a little show. It is a very sweet comedy show on Apple Plus called Ted Lasso. I encourage you all to watch it. It's a really funny show. I also think it's the kind of show you can watch with your family. It stars Jason Sudeikis. It's based on a character that he played on SNL. Like, I don't even think this was a recurring character. I think this was literally like for the 2013 Super Bowl. But he's just like this podunk, happy guy, very optimistic, like truly loves everyone, wants the best for everyone, wants to be a team player. And he is a coach for a football team at like a small college in like Missouri or like St. Louis or something. And he gets hired to be the new coach of this premier football league in England. Like it would be like him being the new head coach of Manchester United. He's hired because the owner of the team, she has gotten this team as part of a divorce with her nasty ex-husband and she wants it to burn to the ground. And so she's unbeknownst to Ted, she's hired him to essentially like run this team into the ground. But he surprises them all with his optimism and his love for everybody. And it'll just make you feel all warm inside. (laughs) I've only heard about this show because I saw it was nominated for a couple Golden Globes or maybe one, who knows. Apple Plus, don't even know how to access that. <laughs> so I don't blame you. I mooch off of an Apple Plus account. Got so it. I wouldn't even know, except for I had like five people tell me, Jillian, like if you love Parks and Rec, you would love Ted Lasso. What I think is so unique about this show, I think a lot of shows are very dependent on like, what's the driver? What's going to keep our audience coming back with all the drama week after week? And this show's big driver is just delight and wanting to see these characters happy. It's just like such a nice breath of fresh air for like, just like a fun little show. That's so nice. Seems like a a weirdly perfect contrast segue into what I'm watching because speaking of drama that drives people to watch and tune in every single (laughs) week... Um, I'm currently watching WandaVision on Disney+, Plus, which if you are a casual Marvel fan, I think you can still get into this show. Um, basically, it is following the characters of Wanda Maximoff and Vision in what seems to be at first like this weird 50s rendition of their lives, but slowly you see you start to see this unravel and without spoilers, you get into the reality of the situation. So I think episode five just aired, so we're getting more into like what's actually happening in this world. So it's been very fun to see. And also my entire TikTok is now WandaVision explainer videos, which is very very helpful because I'm like, what does this mean? I think you by proxy have put me on WandaVision TikTok. Oh, really? And um, so I, I've seen the moments of like where it's, it's almost like the Wanda version of I Love Lucy. It's interesting because people are analyzing like every choice because they're like, Marvel never does something on accident or just because they want to do something. Like just because like, oh, that'd be fun. It's like, no, this specific thing is going to pay off later. So I need to pay attention right now <laughs> so that it pays off in a big way, which I think is like, just speaks to how Marvel thinks about their whole, you know, 
character universe of like, how are we setting up this one thing? It's going to pay off in this really big way. So even um, watching Mandalorian in December, it was like, I had a good time watching it. I really enjoyed it. But there's like so many characters. They're new to me. I didn't watch like the Clone Wars TV show or I'm not aware of all the comics. And so when like a character was introduced, I was like, who is that? And so (laughs) then I go back and like I read about them or like I start to watch some of the other shows and I'm like, oh, I understand why this person is so significant in the same way i'm also like catching up to things within this show of like what does that mean (laughs) it's fun shall we dive into episode six of bridgerton yes we shall so episode six is called swish Previously on Bridgerton, Daphne and the Duke plead love to the queen in order to get their special license to get married in a hurry, in which they are successful. They begin their honeymoon very strained, but confess that they burn for each other. And Daphne experiences her first night of real passion. Episode six pretty much picks up from the next morning because they just had to stop at that inn before reaching Cliveden, which is the grand estate where the Duke was born, but has not really had any happy memories and was sort of abandoned there by his father who took off for London. It's a beautiful home. And I mean, there's already like this amazing, like full staff ready to greet them. And you have, I don't know the titles, but she's like the main maid or or person. She's sort of keeper of the keys, master of the house lady. Yeah. So it's funny to see their uh, sort of relationship unfold too in this episode, because obviously she's used to like how an estate should be run or how her role is best utilized. And Daphne has had no training of what what does it mean to be a duchess? In, in really diving into other things that Violet Bridgerton did not prepare her for, one of the things was, how do you, how are you a duchess to a, such a grand estate? Which, honestly, Violet Bridgerton actually doesn't know either. So uh, she couldn't really have trained her up for this. This is a big sort of self-realizing and, and discovery episode for Daphne in several ways, because she and the Duke arrive, and they are not done with their honeymoon at all. <laughs> um <laughs> They sort of start their marital relations immediately, having the best time, getting to know each other. And it's sort of interwoven with Daphne's tour of the estate. And I guess something that I want to preface this with is, A, yes, it sounds like Daphne was not prepared at all. But the way these grand estates usually worked was like, it was the grand estate and like the whole like town, village, like everything like revolved around this estate. Like a lot of people made their living as tenant farmers where they'd rent the land and farm it. As a duke, you're like the CEO of your own company and you're responsible for keeping the whole town financially afloat. The best food goes there. Like, you know, best clothes makers, like it went there. It like it all revolved around this. Right. Any butchers, any farmers, any like anything like that you know they go into town a few times and it is like their royalty essentially and they're also just responsible for everyone's well-being and that's like kind of also what takes simon away is like oh this whole town's a mess financially and trying to get all of that into order the good news is he sounds like he's you know very passionate about keeping this town alive i mean as someone who's really been trying to shun his responsibilities much like anthony bridgerton who we'll talk about later (laughs) i actually kind of get it because i feel like this episode did a good job of showing just how much ordinary people depend on the estate to be run efficiently in order for them to make their living. It sounds like whoever was running the estate when Simon's father was in charge was doing a terrible job because tenants are like the rent has gone up three times what it was. Daphne is also just like sort of learning like her job isn't to like look pretty and like kiss babies like she loves doing that. But for example, uh, when she and Simon go into town, like it's her job to like pick the biggest pig in a pig contest test and when she learns that the winner gets slaughtered she's like uh no one wins and she's like oh i'm a good person and then what she learns later when she's trying to make a good impression with the village and they don't like her very much a woman sort of confesses to her you know whoever the pig is chosen gets a contract with the estate and you know it's it's a very big deal and they get extra income daphne's like oh my decisions affect other people yeah and i think that's probably where some of the tension comes with mrs colson because she's like you're not doing 
things the way you should be doing because, you know, her choices don't just affect her, which I think Daphne's still getting used to the idea of, like, everything she does isn't just for her anymore. When she goes off to pick her own flowers or whatever, she's actually taking a job away from someone else who needs that paycheck. So I think she's still understanding what it means to be in this role of duchess, that all her decisions are no longer only affecting her, they're affecting an entire town really yeah and i feel like the first time she really sort of messes up in that sense is when she and simon have dinner at that long table and he's like you're so far away and she's like oh i'll come closer to you and she like picks up her own plate and glass and moves closer like all the servants kind of like side eye her like did she just pick up her own plate i i like the way they sort of did that in this episode it's not necessarily it being about like too good to do your own stuff it's about keeping people employed and like that's sort of why they do these things around the house it feels like they're having fun obviously like they're playing house in a way they're like "Ooh, we just get to have all these people wait on us and that's not something definitely they probably are used to having some staff in the bridgerton household but not as like extensive as this well and she's also like the lady of the house i think that's the mm. important thing to mention here is that like what she says goes people look to her for answers whereas like maybe in the bridgerton household people would look to anthony or violet for answers people are looking to her for answers and i like the what you said there of them like playing house because another great sort of montage is that we get to see them basically having sex all over the estate indoors outdoors library because when we talk about the season it refers to like the amount of time that people spent living in london and so you typically had like your townhouse and then your estate that is what made you all the money and so they've been like in town where there's all these rules and everyone in society is there both of them but especially simon is just like grateful to be away from all of that where they can just do whatever they want and there's no like prying eyes like the servants it's almost like the servants they won't tell anyone or like what are they gonna say you know like we have a great marriage (laughs) we saw simon and daphne go through this rough patch before they got married and even you know the the wedding itself seemed so sad but they're clearly on the other side of that now and they're like happy to be together and simon talks to daphne like i'm so glad like that you're fine not having children because the woman in town who helps to guide Daphne. Um, She's with her little child, Ada, and she holds her and she's like so natural and happy with children. Later when she's talking to Simon, she's like, I hope that didn't hurt you. And he's like, why would that hurt me? I thought it would hurt you because like you obviously want children. You know, my abundant family will be good for at least one thing in future. Eventually they will all marry and have children of their own and We will have more screaming infants in our lives than we know what to do with. You will be a splendid aunt. It thrills me that you are satisfied with our married life as it is. Just the two of us. I have all that I want just here. How did I earn such luck? That I do not know. They're still masking their true feelings from each other. Simon feeling like, this is too good to be true. How do I deserve you? And Daphne actually wanting children and not saying it out loud. Yeah, and I feel like we're starting to get into the other part of Daphne's sort of awakening because she has truly like no idea how babies are made. She has just been told that Simon is unable to have them and she believes him and she did. She chose this life of like having him over the idea of children. I feel like their marriage kind of has this element of like, they're either like in paradise together, blissed out, or when one of them finds out that they don't agree on the same thing, it can be pretty horrible. So Daphne starts to wise up to like physically how babies are made. It starts with a conversation with Mrs. Coulson, who basically mentions something about strong seed. And Daphne's like, huh, I don't know what you're talking about. Later on, when she and Simon are doing it in his office, she kind of notices him finishing into like a handkerchief. And she's like, what is that? Like, she's never really paid attention to it before. She's just sort of like blissed out in the way that she feels and the way that Simon makes her feel. It's sort of then that she kind of realizes, I think he knows more 
than what he's told me. And she accosts her lady's maid and is like, no embarrassment. Tell me how babies are made. Like, how does a woman come to be with child? (laughs) Sort of echoing the very question that Eloise asked at the beginning that absolutely no one would answer for her. I think it really shows just like, how in the dark women were kept about like their own bodies and what to expect from marriage. In this regard, I do feel kind of bad for Daphne for like having to be married and ask like what's happening in her own marriage from like her lady's maid instead of like having been able to trust her mother to tell her these things or even like her husband, to be honest with her. Violet and Simon are operating under a lot of assumptions about what Daphne knows. Violet clearly like was just so embarrassed about even having that conversation with her daughter and didn't want to explicitly tell her like, this is what's going to happen or this is what to expect. And she used bad metaphors, even had the assumption of like, oh, well, you know, like, you know what happens clearly. And no, Daphne does not know. And I think Simon too on that within their marriage is like, well, she probably knows like she's been told by her mother or she has brothers, like somehow she's heard about these things around them. So Daphne has kind of prided herself of being tough in many ways because she's grown up around brothers. She's like, yeah, I'm fine with going to boxing matches. Like I'm fine, like being around the guys and things like that. But actually like she's been still shielded from that part of life. So she is the oldest daughter. So it's not like she has an older sister who is going to be more upfront and real with her of like, here's what's going to happen. But now she's able now to impart and pass off this wisdom to Eloise when it comes to be that time. And then Eloise can pass it off to their younger sister and that sort of thing. So where unfortunately Violet Bridgerton has failed Daphne, Daphne will be able to make up for that to her younger siblings. We can only hope. Pretty much after this is this sort of scandalous scene that everyone has been talking about, but we want to save that for the end. Why don't we jump sideways to see what's been happening in the Colin and Marina romance storyline? Yeah, I mean, where we left off with them was they are semi kind of engaged very secretly because... uh, Marina obviously needs to secure an engagement and get married very quickly because uh, it's getting to that point where her pregnancy may start to show. They make the public announcement that they're engaged, which is news to all of the Bridgertons. I love that Anthony's immediately like, mother, did you know about this? And she's like, people are looking, stop talking Mm -hmm, to me. mm -hmm. Now they're kind of dealing with the aftermath of Bridgerton's questioning Colin of like, what are you doing? What are you thinking about? Marina, on the other hand, uh, Lady Featherington's like, well done. This is another moment where I was just truly pissed off at Anthony for just being the worst. I think that's just his hobby. I think he enjoys being (laughs) the worst. And I think he loves his holier than thou attitude. Anthony is so mad at Colin. That is my fault. I should have taken you to brothels when you returned home from Eton. So if this is simply a matter of wetting your wick. You really are an ass. Do you know that? This is what comes of not sowing your wild oats. Proposing to the first chick you set your cap at. Enough! You insult me and you insult my intended. It is not my fault, nor Marina's, that you cannot fathom true attachment. I guess I just sort of don't understand what everyone's beef about this is, because I feel like these sort of engagements are the kinds of things that happen all the time. And even Colin pointed out to his mother, like, I've been courting Marina all season. Why are you so surprised? And she's like, well, I thought you guys were flirting. I didn't think it was serious. I do think that he really cares for Marina. I think he's also kind of in a rush to like, be his own man. And a wife is kind of the answer to that. Violet has been so preoccupied and Anthony have been both preoccupied with Daphne and that whole situation because she was the first woman out in season of their family. So it was a big deal. They just weren't anticipating to also focus in on Colin that season either. He is older than Daphne. So it's like, it's fine. But for men in that time, it was like, you have all the time in the world. You can take as many seasons as you'd like and take your time. Clearly, as Anthony and Benedict have been doing. So it is a big surprise to them. And I think because they are such a close family for Colin to not have at least anticipated to anyone like, hey, I'm going to be proposing to Marina. I think that's why it comes as a big shock to them of like, how did none of us know this? Did you? Did you? Did you? And it's like, no, he told no one. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point, which is that like, 
With Daphne, with women, the goal is to get married like as soon as possible. Like if you could get a husband and engagement in your first season, bravo. She was the diamond of the season. She had to capitalize on that. She was like, ah, do I go for this prince or do I go for the duke? And it was like a whole thing. Whereas I feel like for men, the goal is to see how many seasons you can go without (laughs) getting married. Like it's sort of like, how long can I do this for? How long can I just like be my own man and not be tied down by a wife? Also, I feel like of all of the Bridgerton men so far, Colin is the most agreeable because Anthony just loves raining. He's like a storm cloud that rains on everyone's parade. Benedict is just a lost soul looking for himself in like an artsy house of ill repute. And Colin is like, he just wants to be a, hu- he just wants to be a good husband. I don't want to blame him for wanting love. So now they're both preparing for their upcoming nuptials and Lady Featherington takes Marina to the modiste. The modiste is like, actually, unless you pay me for your last things, I can't help you. And then Marina blackmails her by being the only person in the ton who speaks French and is like, I'm going to tell everyone that you're not really French if you don't help us. And that just works. That's great. I really thought that Genevieve would be able to get away with this ruse (laughs) of being French this whole time without being French. To everyone's surprise, Marina's like, your accent is so interesting. Whereabouts in France are you from? We're seeing just how Marina is very savvy and more like street smarts of knowing how the world works and knowing if people are taking advantage of people. So she very clearly sees through the scheme that Genevieve is pulling on everyone. The Uno reverse card on her to make sure that they get the dresses they need. I mean, I feel like Marina's claws really come out in this episode. And what I do sort of like about the POV on these claws is that you don't hate her for it. You don't think that she's a bad person for it. If anything, you see how society has been set up to bring her down. You know, it's like really set like young women who got pregnant out of wedlock. There's really just like no way for them to earn income. There's no because you needed like a man, like a father or a husband to like have anything like she's entitled to nothing there are multiple occasions in this episode where she really is like you know what i'm gonna be a little tough here because i want to be a good person but i also want what's best for my baby and i'm gonna start thinking in those terms from now on and this is one of those times where she's like you know what I need new clothes for this wedding to this guy who's gonna protect me and you're gonna give me those clothes or i'm gonna tell people you're not french <laughs> Good for her. Lady Featherington and Mrs. Bridgerton meet for the first time and they're like, hey, how about the fact that our kiddos are getting married? And they're preparing to all have dinner together. Bless Penelope's heart for trying to stop her beloved Colin from getting tricked into this whole thing. The episode title also comes in of Swish, is that when they're going off to dinner, Lady Featherington tells Marina in her dress to sort of swish or sway side to side to make sure like is her stomach showing yet no she's kind of still good but like barely honestly barely still good because she swishes and you're like oh you're starting to see something only if you're looking closely they are in a very precarious situation right now where it's like you've secured this engagement and engagement is not yet a marriage but lady featherington is seeing it as like as good as a marriage right now so she she's feeling good and confident about that situation but poor penelope yes is dealing with her feelings towards colin and not really admitting it to anyone i mean she can't admit it to anyone right because like she can't tell her mom because her mom's like tough like marina's got him (laughs) move on she can't tell marina because obviously you know she's secured colin she can't tell eloise because that's her brother and it would be maybe just awkward for her to tell her friend hey i have this crush on your brother she actually tries to warn colin about marina and not outright tell her like she's pregnant you don't know this but she kind of tries to hint toward something else going on i have wanted to talk to you since the engagement was announced but we've always been in company so this is something about marina her heart belongs to another what his name is sir george crane he's a first son a soldier they grew up in neighboring properties in the country i am sorry colin but i have seen their love letters i felt you should know before it was too late you really are very good you know that Do you think that I would care if she had fond feelings for another before we met? It would be rather rich of me, considering I've flirted with half the girls in London at one point or another. No, you you must understand this was no mere flirtation. Marina loves this man. She loves him still. And yet she's marrying me. 
Trust me, Pen. Do not fret. It's heartbreaking for Penelope because she's like, no, but you don't know the full truth. And that's when Marina interrupts them. I mean, Penelope's in a really tricky situation here. And to make matters worse, we're about to get a ticking clock. Basically, Marina interrupts this conversation before Penelope can like take things further. Marina's just like, I'm so crazy about you. I love you. I hate that we have to wait so long to be married. I think part of that is like, and who knows if this is actually her true feelings or she's trying to deceive Colin in any way to speed things up. But she is like, I don't feel accepted in my family. Like I've been an outsider ever since I got here. Now suddenly I have a family with the Bridgertons, but they're so skeptical and dubious of her that she, that she doesn't feel welcome and she still feels like an outsider. So she's like, I just want us, us to start our family because I want to create our own life. And Colin doesn't like seeing her this way. He's like, yeah, I want that for us too. So let's create our own family. This is another excellent example of Marina being so cunning. Not only did she push this wedding forward, but she made Colin believe it was his idea <laughs> because she's just like, oh, woe is me. I wish we could get married now. And as we saw in the last episode with um, Daphne and the Duke, it was actually quite difficult to get married like immediately. Like you had to, there was usually like a whole ceremony around it, especially for people in the upper classes. You had to announce it in the paper and you had to have all these witnesses and all this time and like get so much approval from so many people. And so back in the day, the only way to like, there was basically only a handful of things. You could like apply for the special license like Daphne and the Duke did, or you could just elope to Gretna Green, which was like a town in Scotland. It's basically like the Las Vegas of the time. <laughs> and it had to do, um, starting in the 1700s, with Lord Hardwick's Marriage Act. And basically, if a parent of a person under the age of 21 objected to the minor's marriage, the parent could legally veto the union. This law was pretty strict everywhere except scotland who was like screw whatever england wants we want to do the opposite <laughs> of that and it was kind of like the only town that like kept that whole like yeah it's easy like it was really easy to get a marriage license you only needed like one witness in fact some of the blacksmiths in the town were famous they were called anvil pastors or something like that and they were like blacksmiths who were ordained to marry people so the other reason this is vital is because in pride and prejudice when lydia and george wickham elope she leaves a note saying that they intend to go to gretna green they go to london first but like they basically intended to elope there so this is like regency version of like let's just go to vegas and by the way i got really curious about this so last night i was like yeah how why do people like go to las vegas to get married and here's what i found out at least in the united states marriage licenses are like a state's issue nevada has like it's so easy to get a marriage license like i looked what would it be in california and there's no like blood test that you need to get there are like some states that require that but it's just like $77, you need a witness, it's good for 90 days, you got to get married in that 90 days, but it, like it can take a like a few days to get this license whereas in Las Vegas you could get a marriage license within minutes and it's open until midnight every night. Wow. <laughs> so it takes nothing. <laughs> and so that's kind of what Gretna Green is to these people. It's basically like, let's elope. Let's make this happen right now. And Colin is being so manly and he's like, give me a day to make the arrangements. And then you and I are going to elope and we're going to start our family. Because I feel like Colin is also suffering from some like middle child resentment where like- sure, not getting attention. Not getting attention. Literally, he's like, I know you guys maybe forgot that I was dating this woman all season because you were so caught up with Daphne's courtship. But I exist too. I'm in love too. And I'm marrying my wife. It's like a very John Mulaney, my wife moment, you know? <laughs> so that's kind of what's happening here. The Featheringtons are supposed to go to like this other dinner that they've been invited to. Lady Featherington is kind of high off this like, oh, suddenly everyone wants me back in their homes now that we're connected to the Bridgertons. Penelope is like, <laughs> I'm sick. And so <laughs> while they're out of the house, 
she actually is going through all their things and is is checking in Marina's room of like, what's going on? Like, what's the truth? She finds all the letters and she does some nice little spy work there of like comparing handwriting and being like, wait a second, the way George assigned here does not match the last letter. So she's like, haha, like she shows Marina like, look, there's proof. Like he does still love you. He never wrote this to you. She's grasping at anything at this point. She's just trying to hold on to like any bit of proof that like there's still hope for this Sir George character to be back in Marina's life. It's interesting because like she doesn't want to betray Marina by being like telling everyone she's pregnant. That would easily solve all her problems, right? Is like just telling Violet Bridgerton, telling Colin like she's pregnant, everything, literally everything would collapse and kind of be in her favor again in the Colin front. But then like also telling him in that way, how would he feel about her if like you knew this whole time, you didn't tell me. But in Marina's case, even when when presented with this evidence of like, oh, his signature is not the same, she brings up the good point where she says like, but he hasn't written me back so it doesn't matter if this was forged or not like i've written him multiple letters no response the stakes here are much bigger than penelope's feelings telling colin or anyone that she's pregnant would be the simplest solution but it wouldn't be the best one because it wouldn't ruin this marriage it would ruin the featheringtons it could ruin the bridgertons like it's like spilling a pot of ink and just like it spreads over all of these papers and ruins it, you know? Like she is trying to be so delicate. She is like really playing politics here by like trying to come up with like any non-pregnancy related excuse to break them up. She starts by like telling Colin like, I didn't want to bring this up, but Marina loves another man. And he's like, that's fine. And so then she's like, okay, that didn't work. He's a dumb boy. He doesn't <laughs> get it. So I'm going to go for Marina. And she... I just want to throw this out there. I know she's a desperate woman, but she did an excellent job snooping in Marina's bedroom because she found hidden letters where she's like, look, the signature is not the same. Isn't it obvious that my mom and our, our head woman here tried to deceive you? And this is where Marina, like, she spits facts. Like, of all the languages in the world, she speaks three and one of them is facts, which is that, like, I don't care if this isn't George's signature. I don't care if he didn't write this heartbreaking letter, which means that I need to start thinking about any father for my child. I need someone who's going to take care of us. And Colin is that man. Marina, what will you do when Colin realizes the child is not his? That day will come. He is not simple. What I will do is live safe in the knowledge that my husband is a good and kind man. He would never turn me out on the street. He will care for us both. Marina's really starting to think in terms of like a mother who's trying to protect her child. It's sort of during this confrontation that she realizes, oh, Penelope's trying to put me off of Colin because she's in love with him. And then she says some pretty mean but pretty true things. She's like, I'm really sorry that Colin doesn't see you any differently than like Eloise does, you know, that you're like just a pal to him and he sees me as a woman. He sees me as a romantic option. And like, I'm sorry, but like me taking care of my child is much more important than hurting your feelings. I don't care if he ever writes me back because Colin is the new father of my child. I'm sorry it hurts your feelings, but I need this more than you do. It's easy to side with Marina when she she kind of has that logic, but at the same time, you're like, but is there a world where she could just tell Colin, like, we love each other, but... I am with child. I know like her telling him that would end their potential relationship and marriage. So she is still in a delicate situation where because of how she's been brought up and unfortunately all the cards against her, she feels like she needs to deceive everyone in order to get what she wants. And Lady Featherington, of course, has also encouraged that. She's like, yes, you know, deceive the boy and <laughs> trap the boy. Uh, do whatever you need to do to make sure. Trap his ass. Yeah, to like secure that marriage. Um, because at this point, Lady Featherington's like, great, that problem checked off the list. Like, I'm good. This is it. This is a sure thing. Well, and going back to what you said earlier of like, is there a world where Marina could just tell Colin that she's pregnant? I think this kind of goes back to those like really old, deep-rooted patriarchal worldviews, which is like the reason girls weren't told about sex 
if they knew they wouldn't need to get married to have kids. They wouldn't need men to have a life. Marina has just seen enough of this system to assume that like there's not a man who's actually going to be understanding about marrying. Like she's seen as being like devalued for being pregnant. I don't think she's crazy for assuming that any man would think that. And I mean, this is sort of one of the last things to happen in the episode. We see Penelope approach Eloise on the swings at her house. She just breaks down in tears. And like, I felt, I mean, like Nicola Coughlin is just such a good actress that when she like broke down in those tears, I was like, I'm so sorry, Penelope. And then the next thing we know, it's the next morning. Marina's packed her bags to go to Gretna Green. Colin has come downstairs with his bag and Whistledown is out, announcing that Marina is pregnant and has been ever since she arrived in London. And the Featheringtons have been tainted and Colin is heartbroken and it's just a whole wreck. That was kind of like a montage part, right? Where it's like you see Penelope has discovered Marina's packed bag. Then we see issues being printed at the printing press. And then we see the breakdown happen of Penelope crying to Eloise. And then the next morning, the next whistle down is, here's this big scandal, which is very suspicious. The timing of this, obviously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right Mm -hmm. before they were supposed Mm -hmm. to go to Gretna Green, this conveniently timed secret has been revealed. Again, this secret has been so contained into the Featherington household. There's only a few select people who could have possibly known about this. Even the fact that like Lady Featherington had like essentially quarantined (laughs) Marina for a good amount of time before being like, actually, no, we got to get you married. Like, let's get you out there. Previously, we had actually thought one of our uh, suggestions was that Marina could be Lady Whistledown. Obviously, that is thrown out the window now. (laughs) That is no longer a possibility because it did make sense. It needs to be someone who is both inside yet sort of blends into the background of society. Uh, She seemed to fit that perfectly, but it's not her. Still, who within the Featherington household could it be? We don't really pay attention to the stepsisters. (laughs) They're not stepsisters, but they seem like the evil stepsisters. Cinderella stepsisters, yes. Are they clever enough to write something like this? I mean, truly, I could not tell you either of their first names if you made me. I mean, and, and the question remains, who stood to benefit from this announcement. Right now, Penelope is looking very suspicious, but I don't know if this is one of those situations where it's like, watch this hand while the other one does all the work kind of thing, you know? Sure. I mean, if we're throwing Penelope's name into potential whistle-down candidates, she could have gone to Eloise at night, breaking down crying, not just because she's upset about Colin and Marina going off to get engaged, but maybe she's upset with herself of like, I've done this awful thing where now I'm exposing a secret that is going to cause a rift between our households and we Ru- and like ruin her and her sister's prospects for getting married yeah and i mean she i think she goes back to eloise because she's like i at least want this one friendship to hold on to because tomorrow everything changes i mean this was a pretty big scandal but it is not the biggest most momentous scandal of the episode so this is pretty much how the episode ends but just before that we're going to take a hard left and we're going to check in on the duke and daphne because if you guys you know are very interested in bridgerton chances are you know about a very controversial sex scene and so this is where we're going to start talking about it so if this is uh not your jam not a subject you want to listen to i would stop listening here so Basically, where we left off was Daphne finally, like, shook down her lady's maid, demanding to know just the machinations of, like, how a woman comes to be with child. She figures out what the solution is, is that, like, she can't let Simon pull out of her, essentially, is what she's discovered. And so Daphne's sort of numb the rest of the evening because she feels very lied to. She feels very deceived and probably, like, a little stupid because she thought that she was well-educated by her mother and, like, well-prepared for married life. She's been, like, her husband's been deceiving her, saying he can't have children when he's been sort of, like, pulling this sort of, like, birth control situation on her and she didn't really have a say in it. He lied to her about his ability to have children. And now she's like, holy crap, 
I could have everything I ever wanted. I will back up and say, I don't think she's like planning anything. I think she's just really mad and she feels really disconnected from Simon because I think she thought he would never lie to her. He would never deceive her. Like I think when he said to her, I can't have children, she was like, oh man, he just admitted something really big to me. He really just opened up to me. And she finds out that that was a total lie. And so they're in bed later that night and she gets an idea. The controversial scene is interesting because there does seem to be a disconnect between what the uh, series creator and what the writers intended versus what the audience actually picked up on. This actually is drawn directly from the book. So in the book, this this scene is actually even more controversial, really. And Julia Quinn, and I actually, I haven't looked into what, what she said about it recently, but it seems like her excuse for this scene is like, oh, well, you know, now that we've had more nuanced conversations about consent, this scene obviously wouldn't be done anymore like uh, in the book it is that Daphne goes to Simon while he's asleep and forces herself onto him it's clearly a rape scene here in the show they wanted to adjust that for current times but did they actually they don't call it a rape scene they don't call it a sexual assault scene because in a way they're they're showing like oh well he is awake he is conscious she sort of takes control in the bed but simon does say wait he says wait twice i think it was a, a deliberate choice on the writer's part to not have him say no because it's stop no or stop but i mean wait is still stop yeah. you know it's a it's pause it's a pause button daphne disregards his wait and continues and then Daphne is is angry because she's like so you could like you could this whole time and now that I understand how pregnancy happens and how this whole works like I understand that you've deceived me this whole time Simon is honestly like wait a second like (laughs) I thought you knew what was happening every time we were together. Well, pause. I a little bit disagree with this because his words to her, like he told her like, I cannot have children, which I think to anyone means that like, he would not have to like pull out of her in order to complete. So he was saying like, emotionally, I cannot, but she thought physically, I cannot. Yeah. So I guess there was that disconnect. Yeah. There's sort of this moment between like, when she like sort of really holds him down and then gets off of him, uh, he's like, wait a minute. Like there's this element of like, she sort of knows what she's doing because she just completely disregarded what I said. And she's like, you lied to me. And he's like, I can't believe you did this to me. Even though I know Daphne really wants kids, but I, I do think that there was an element of vindictiveness in her actions. I think Daphne is more in the wrong than Simon was. <laughs> For sure. So they basically have this huge fight. They went from being happily, blissfully married and on the same page about absolutely everything to how dare you, I hate you, you lied to me about everything and I don't even know who you are anymore. And she kind of storms out and they are very, very strained once again. So I actually found this article, this interview from Esquire with the show creator, Chris Van Dusen. So the question has come up around this scene a lot. And so he was able to address it. The question was around why did they feel it was necessary to adapt the scene in this way? And his answer here was, we are a show that allows our female characters to be complicated and to be far from perfect. They often have to make complicated choices. In the, in the writer's room, we discussed that scene at length. We felt that the female characters on this show, Daphne especially, should be allowed to do just that. She should be flawed. She should be able to make questionable choices. We felt a responsibility to the story of the education of Daphne Bridgerton and that this scene is very much part of her story. Uh, The follow-up question was around this being a violation of consent or being interpreted that way. His response was, I think that's part of the scene's design was to raise conversation. What this scene brought up around consent is an important one to be having, one we encourage audiences to engage in. The show can only present commentary and we can only present our critique. As storytellers, we can't really pass judgment on the decisions Daphne makes, but it's important to us to understand why she's making those decisions. I think the why of it is all pretty clear, which yes, the why of it is very clear. It's like, she wants to understand, is Simon deceiving me? Is he lying to me? Like we've been talking about, like there is that disconnect between like, 
what does Simon actually mean when he says, I cannot have children? The way that Daphne interprets it is like, physically, he cannot. The way Simon is actually meaning it is like, emotionally, I will never because of this, you know, thing that he hasn't actually told Daphne about of like this, this uh, revenge sort of thing that he has toward his father. Yeah, and this is something that we're going to see a lot more of in the next episode. Because I mean, another thing that we didn't really mention that was part of Daphne's becoming the Duchess this episode is she gets some more insight into Simon's childhood. Because she gets here, she sees this beautiful, beautiful estate. And she's like, Oh, my God, you must have had the best memories. Like, even when she says I want to redecorate a few rooms she's like but tell me which ones are special to you so i don't touch those i really want like i want you to like feel at home here and he's like i've never felt at home here i hate it here like change whatever you want and then mrs colson opens up to her about how his father didn't really want a child he wanted an heir simon's mother put a lot of pressure on herself to get pregnant even long after it was no longer healthy for her so she like gave birth to him but we saw she died shortly thereafter sort of began the cycle of like really unhappy childhood for Simon and Daphne has been completely ignorant to all of this because she was very blessed with like parents who were crazy about each other and they were best friends and they had eight kids to her childhood and happiness are synonymous and she just doesn't quite get that Simon is so far from that. I mean, that was a very diplomatic answer of Chris Van Dusen. It certainly has sparked a lot of conversations. We're having one right now. Yeah. I mean, there's been other articles from Vox, from Oprah Magazine, from The Tab, and I'm sure many other outlets of talking about this as a rape scene. And even Oprah Magazine brings up, like, why wasn't there a trigger warning on this episode when you first tune into it? And I think that's an interesting idea if this episode would have had a trigger warning, then I think you are siding with the audience of saying like, yes, this is a scene of sexual assault. This is a scene of rape. But the series creators are saying, they're not saying that it is. They're saying like, oh, Daphne makes a mistake, but they're not explicitly saying like that it's sexual assault. So to put a warning on it, honestly, it's kind of admitting to the fact that it is. Well, yeah. And I I mean, since the writers and the creators have taken this point of view maybe there's an argument to be said for like well it's not a violent scene it's not hard to watch but but i think that's that's exactly but that's us as the audience we're saying it doesn't have to be the idea of sexual assault that we've always thought in order for it to be wrong and murky right just because it's not violent doesn't mean it's not like it shouldn't have a warning like it should it should have had a warning the uh the conversation then also came up around like when this happens to men then it isn't taken as seriously and especially Simon being a man of color in this society he is even more silenced in many ways through this scene racism as we found out through the Lady Danbury conversation is not invisible in the society it's very much so visible he as a black man in the society does have a certain place and the fact that his voice can't be heard and that really the show's point of view is like we're more siding with Daphne's frustrations and anger rather than Simon's own anger of like I didn't want this I didn't want to be a father is very telling I think of the perspective of where the creator and writers wanted to take this and it's that we're citing it feels like we're citing more with Daphne's sort of struggles or frustrations with not with wanting to be a mother but not actually voicing that to Simon too I think their relationship was based on a lie and was never supposed to be a real thing but they happened to fall for each other and develop real feelings for each other but they almost have like this romanticized version of each other in their minds still because every step of the way they're kind of they've just been like oh yeah like I'm fine with that I'm fine with being an aunt for the rest of my life and he's like wow this is so perfect Perfect. I don't know. I think they don't really know each other. And I think that's one thing that Daphne does say to him, like, I'm now just discovering who you are. Well, yeah, because you've never really both had a real conversation. Well, and not only do they not really know each other, but they don't really know themselves yeah. either. I mean, it's interesting. I feel like part of why they wanted to get married in the first place is because they felt so comfortable with each other. And there was a certain element of like being able to be themselves with each other. But they never, because it was a ruse for such a long time, they didn't have those conversations of like, what do you want? 
And they don't even ask themselves, what do I want? You know, because I mean, I feel like the way they got engaged was like very hasty and there was violence involved. And in that moment when Daphne was like, if I have to choose between a life with Simon or a life with someone else, a life that may not happen because I will be scandalized after this event with children, I guess I pick Simon. Now that she's married and now that she allegedly has everything in the world, she's like, actually, I think I still want kids. And she doesn't talk about it. She just kind of acts upon it. And it's just not great. <laughs> it's it's more than just like a flawed character. It, it's a really serious discussion about like a lot of things. I think a sort of a question that we might want to ask ourselves is like, what if the roles were reversed? What if Simon really wanted a kid? Daphne didn't really want a kid. And he just kind of decided to impregnate her without discussing it. And like, it would like true, like the conversation about it being sexual assault would not be up for debate. It would just be that. And I I think that a lot of people are saying like, well, he could have just like, he could have like thrown her off or whatever. But like, that's not really the conversation that we're having. The conversation is about the place that she was coming from and the intentions that she had and and sort of keeping things from him. And I, I think that it's not any less sexual assault because like, he's like stronger than her. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. Like if roles were reversed, because if it were reversed, his intentions or what he was aiming for, the fact that he wanted to be a father for all, all his life would not be coming into the conversation. Like there wouldn't be caveats of like, yeah, he did that, but he's always wanted to be a dad versus you have... Daphne Bridgerton, this young white woman in society who has always wanted to be a mother, that is a big part of this debate and conversation of like, but she's always wanted to be a mom and she was kept in the dark. You know, there's more caveats given to her because of who she is and and what her character looks like than if she had a different place in society. I do feel kind of bad that she was not up to date on consent, but it's sort of, actually, this is how Lady Whistledown's letter ends. Like, do the ends ever justify the means? We can voice our opinions here. Like, she still shouldn't have done it, no matter how much she, like, wants to be a mom, because she violated a lot of trust. She took advantage of, like, the imbalance between her and Simon, and now it's, like, their marriage is as I mean, it's it's a very new marriage, but I, I can't imagine it ever being more strained than it is right now. Yeah, you know, we'll get into this in the next episode, really. But the other big issue people have with the show is that obviously the scene happens, and then it's never really addressed in any way. This is between Simon and Daphne, no one else knows about it. So they essentially need to deal with it themselves. But I think even Simon doesn't know how to like navigate the situation and Daphne feels in the right for what she's done. The fact that there are no consequences to Daphne's actions says a lot too because again if roles were reversed Daphne could easily go to one of her brothers. She may break down crying and then she has a whole Bridgerton family behind her to back her up and protect her. Simon on the other hand has no one. He has himself. His support system as far as getting to talk to anyone else is no one. That's, I think, the big problem here, too, is Simon is so isolated. He has no one else to talk to about any of anything going on in his life, and he's chosen to isolate himself in many ways. He does have his friend Mondrick, but they don't really go deep in on these topics either, so. They're bros. They talk about bro yeah, things. Yeah, <laughs> they just fight every so often, and Mondrick's like, you're mad about something. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, and then they finish the fight. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Lots to talk about here, lots to unpack, and and we definitely see more of the repercussions of all of these scandals in the next episode of Bridgerton. Which, like, completely understandable if, like, you're someone who watched this scene, watched this, and completely, uh fell out of love with the show you know it's it's something that it was problematic that they're not addressing um and i don't think they will address in a future season so totally understandable if you're someone who watched this and you're like i dropped this show after this point so next season will be anthony bridgerton which has been announced it's been announced you know what that means to me that means it's like he needs to change his storm cloud yes. <laughs> if you're gonna get my eyeball like anthony has done nothing in the show that's made me want him to find love (laughs) (laughs) like i am so anti 
Anthony Bridgerton. It's not even funny. He's abusing his power, but he's also got this complex where he's like, oh, I like didn't ask for this power and it's so hard and no one <laughs> understands me. And then he just like abuses his power for like his mistress and his younger siblings. I'm gonna have to see like a real big turnaround in the next two Bridgerton episodes if I'm going to tune into his love story. Thank you very much. I'm sure it'll be more of like a season two episode one where we have to regain confidence with Anthony. But I totally didn't realize like the actor Jonathan Bailey. I have watched Broadchurch, but I totally didn't recognize him from that show. So I was like, who was he? He was like one of the detectives. First of all, I saw that show like years That's ago. why. <laughs> yeah. I think if you look at a picture, you're like, oh, because he does. He just looks older now. He looks just he's a more I mean, refined looks, gentleman in this show. He also just kind of looks like like he's a very handsome man, but he also just looks like everyone. <laughs> a little bit like everyone. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into this episode. If you have any thoughts on this episode or upcoming episodes, feel free to reach out to us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at thepemberley. Stay tuned for next week's episode.